I've read them, and I'll entertain a motion. Motion to approve. So, second, sorry. All right. Any discussion on that? All those in favor? I'll have uh, Mike I'm abstain. Because I wasn't uh, here. Yeah. In yep. favor? Aye. Opposed? Okay. Uh, thank you. Next order of business, the DPW capital requests. Thank you, Mr. Special Officer, Executive Director. So just through the chair, as a matter of record, so at your last, uh, at your last meeting, with the meeting prior, you had uh, Scott came in and provided you with a very uh, thorough and lengthy update on all of the existing or outstanding capital projects. Uh, so the, what he's here to do this evening is to talk about uh, capital projects moving forward. But obviously, if anybody has any questions about anything that is ongoing, um, you, know, you can certainly ask him while he's here. The only other thing I want to point out is the way the handout is. Uh, I recommend if you put it on the table, it's double-sided so we don't kill too many trees and just flip it forward, and then you'll be able to stay right on track with him. Thank you. So we'll go over um, the FY23 proposed capital projects for uh, the general fund, which is on the first summary page, as well as the uh, sewer enterprise fund. There are, are no capital projects proposed for uh, the water enterprise fund. The enterprise fund is shown on the second summary page. The first one, first capital project we have is the uh, roadway maintenance and improvement project. Um, the requested funding is $454,000. As you're aware, we've discussed this many years in the past. Um, the Chapter 90 funding is uh, substantially inadequate to support our roadway uh, management plan. Um, we drive around the community uh, every two years to reassess um, all town roadways. When we do that every other year, we um, obtain additional information. All of this information is gathered through uh, uh, GPS collection me methods um, and available to us on, on, on a GIS platform. Different things we've captured in the past, we've captured all of our guardrails and assessed those conditions. That was a number of years ago. Recently we captured um, all of our sidewalks, our locations, the condition, uh, wheelchair ramp presence or lack of wheelchair ramps, uh, tactile warning strips, those bumpy strips you see at the edge of the wheelchair ramps. Um, and curb type uh, and condition. Generally a curb condition kind of parallels your sidewalk unless it's granite. We don't have a lot of granite in town. We've captured all our uh, pavement markings in town. That's helped our um, annual pavement marking painting program. We have a full map of the town and everything is um, accurately depicted on where it is, what it is, and our quantities. Um, so we're, we're scheduled for another drive around um, this calendar year, uh, calendar 22, after we implement our paving program for this year. Uh, when we do that drive around, again, we'll update some additional information. Information that we're missing on our drive arounds, we don't have a sign inventory. Um, that's something a lot of communities have. Um, it's particular when you do that um, uh, with the, a solar glare, you want to make sure you capture the, refle uh, the reflective uh, conditions of the signs because the traffic signs need to be reflective. Um, so in the past few years, we've had to divert some of our um, budget for roadway maintenance and management um, to drainage work. As you're aware, we get about a half a million dollars from Chapter 90. We have $300,000 um, in the operating budget. 
and we were here before you to discuss um, what's typically a $300,000 amount. Not this year it's proposed at four fifty-four. Uh, that This year will get us about $1.2 million, $1.25. Um, over the past few years, we've had to divert a little more than a quarter of a million dollars a year to, to culvert failures. Um, a number of years ago, we had the Fisher Street culvert. Um, that was identified as failing by MassDOT, and we were required to either close the road or fix it. We fixed it. Um, we had the Rice Ave culvert um, that had been on our radar for quite some time, and it finally failed. Um, there was a corrugated metal pipe, bottom rotted up, the whole top fell, and then the road started falling in. Most recently, we had a three culvert combined project done last year. Um, that included Davis Ave, which you saw had a plate on it and was closed for a while, one lane. Um, I'm sorry, Rice Ave. I'm sorry, um, uh, Lyman Street over by um, where, the, where the hot dog truck used to be. That was being overtopped frequently. There was a um, handmade repair done years ago. And um, there was another failure on Ridge Road. It's the culvert downstream of the golf course and in the, in the, um, um, the CSX Railroad. That road had overtopped. There was a large hole in it. We had roadway plates on that for well over a year. Um, so all three culverts have been replaced. The only remaining work left is to uh, do final paving, which we always wait for a, a season to get that done. Um, but again, that, that was, this was a $290,000 project, so that money was diverted out of our $1.1 million annual allocation um, by need. And we'll be discussing another, some more drainage issues uh, later on this evening. Um, so uh, in doing that, our, P our PCI, our Pavement Condition Index, um, which was originally a 71 in 2015, has remained somewhat level. It's a 73.5 right now. Um, our projection at the 1.1 million, you remember the graph with the three lines, um, our projection was that it was going to increase um, slowly and slightly um, through the $1.1 million a year. It stayed relatively level the past three, three or four years just because we've been putting a quarter million dollars toward culverts. Um, road fails, we get roadway plates, we have to fix it. So again, we're here, I'm here requesting the $454,000 to supplement the Chapter 90, half a million dollars, and the $300,000 in operating budget. If, uh, okay. if, I, if I may, I just want to chime in. Uh, we are being uh, broadcast out, so there are people that are perhaps watching who have never uh, listened to the pavement management plan presentations and all of the work that's been done for the last six years. And I don't want anybody to walk away with the impression that somehow we don't have a handle on our needs and what, uh, in terms of our infrastructure. We've had a seven, you know, seven years, Scott mentioned, going back to 2015, where we did a full assessment of all of our roadways. And um, we had many years through prior administration where, like many communities, I don't think we were investing the, uh, the amount of money we should have been putting into our infrastructure. That's a, uh, it's a significant expense. And historically, Northboro only ever uh, put in whatever the state gave us for Chapter 90 roadway funds. And at that number is about a half a million dollars, and it has not changed since 2012. And uh, there's the buying power of that money from 2012 is about 42% less in today's dollars. So uh, in 2015, we did our assessment. We determined what all the needs were. We came up with a multi-year plan 
uh, put together a funding program for that to 1.1 million. We're in much better shape than many communities out there. But immediately we realized that we did not have enough resources. And for the last six years, the number one priority, and before you leave this evening, I'll be giving you a copy of the town's legislative priorities letter. This is, uh, this is a listing of the things that are most important to the Northboro community. And we meet with our uh, legislative delegation every year this time to ask them for the funding for the programs that are important to us. Our number one priority has been Chapter 90 roadway funding because we have known uh, for quite some time that we, we don't have an adequate investment. So uh, the plans that we put in place we're able to just maintain things. So we're not on a downward trend. We hope to be on a uphill trend, a little bit more of an uphill trend than we are. But we've been able to maintain the roadways, as Scott said, at around a, a, a 73.5. And just like in school, you know, 100's perfect and, you know, 60's failing. Uh, so we're an average, which makes sense. Uh, over the years, too, as part of that, we have reviewed all of our culverts um, we have looked at our guardrails, as he said, and most recently this year, um, as a result of the master plan uh, that we just completed and the desire of the community for additional sidewalks, uh, we started about uh, a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, uh, doing the same level of assessment on every sidewalk. So Scott now has every single sidewalk graded and knows the condition and what it would take to get it back to a good uh, position. We've used these uh, information both from the, from the pavement management plan but now also the culverts and the sidewalk as part of our uh, informational lobby to our legislators to tell so they understand exactly what the needs are. And infrastructure obviously uh, is well beyond the borders of Northboro. And this is something that should be funded through larger, uh, through larger tax base and, and resources. No community has really, or few communities of any, have the resources to have their, their infrastructure all in perfect uh, condition. So I just wouldn't want somebody to think that, well, it, it sounds like a, a lack of planning. I guess you could say it's a lack of planning, but that lack of planning has its roots in 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Uh, Northboro, uh, for the last seven or so years, we've had this plan. Uh, we desperately need additional uh, revenues in order to really make that plan move on an upward uh, trajectory. Um, in terms of the, uh, the ask this year, uh, you know from the previous uh, presentations that we had uh, a, a good, healthy amount of free cash this year. And so we're, that's why we're looking to divert some more uh, of the money. We typically do 300,000. We're looking at 454 this year, trying to make up some of the ground uh, that we've lost by having to do some of these uh, culvert um, uh, replacements. So again, just trying to give the full picture here. This is not you know, a wing it on an annual basis. There's a full assessment, a comprehensive multi-year plan that, go, that has been in place for six years and goes out another six years, but it very clearly identifies a significant funding gap that arguably should be closed by the state uh, through their Chapter 90 transportation bond. So we're making that argument. The last point that I would make here with regard to the roadway is that uh, the governor filed a $2.4 billion supplemental. Uh, in that, he added another $100 million statewide for Chapter 90 funding. The House, unfortunately, did not take that up. 
There is some talk that they are uh, contemplating increasing that funding by $100 million moving forward for fiscal 2023. If our just Again, and I know you guys know this, but for, for the benefit of folks who might be listening uh, that don't, $300 million statewide in Chapter 90 funding means about a half a million dollars for the town of Northborough. If it goes up to $300 million statewide, which is what the Mass Municipal Association in the town of Northborough has been asking, that would mean approximately another 300000 That, coupled with the budget that we have in place, would put us on a, on a solid, not a steep, but a solid uphill trend. And, uh, and the MMA, the Mass Municipal Association, has actually used our documentation in part to help make their case that we know exactly what the gap is. We know exactly how the state could and should uh, close that gap. And, um, and it really just comes down to their willingness to fund that. They've dipped their toes in that pond a couple of times. In 2015, 2016, another $100 million was released. I anticipate in 22, 23, right now, uh, Hopefully, we'll see another $100 million. What we are asking for, and you'll read in, in the uh, legislative priorities letter, is that that needs to be known and consistent and permanent so that we can plan accordingly. And if it is, and it comes to fruition, then we'll be on a, on a good upward trajectory. So I just want to kind of round out the discussion because sometimes when we spend uh, time in a meeting like this talking about the need, it's not always evident all of the planning and the assessment and the lobbying that has gone in place to identify and obtain funding to make that plan come to fruition. So I wouldn't want somebody at home sitting there thinking, well, it just sounds like you guys haven't planned well. We've planned better than most. And sometimes it's painful when you actually know exactly what your gap is. And, uh, and year after year, you're trying to find a way to, to patch that together so that you don't lose ground in the hopes that you continue to lobby for permanent funding increases so that you can make the investments that are necessary. So I know it was a, maybe a little bit lengthy, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here. But again, I know that folks are watching, and they don't understand the planning that's gone in place by this committee and the town for the last you know, eight to ten years to get us in the position that we are right now. So. Okay. Can I just a clarifying Plus. question again for maybe people new? So, you know, to me, this is a good point. Seventy-three point five doesn't sound like a good score, but isn't the gold standard? What was it? Disney? What were they? Eighty. Eighty-five. Yeah, just just as a point of reference. Eighty-five is the top in Disney, which spends copious amounts of money and doesn't have winter. Right. We've gone from a seventy-one to a seventy-three and a half. I mean, that's we'll never get to Disney, but that's a 20% increase in a handful of years if you think 85 is the absolute best anybody can do. So just to clarify, 73 and a half is not, you know, a score at a school. This is, you know, I mean, if you're grading, it's almost on an 85 scale to get a perfect score. So I just want to clarify that that is a, <laughs> actually, it's a good score. Yes, yes, okay. yeah. On a relative yeah. basis, Northborough isn't in bad shape, but like, any, like anything, when it comes to infrastructure, you know, when, uh, when Scott took over and, and when, I, when I took this position, you know, you inherit what you inherit, and the planning is what it was. And we started to dig into this stuff, and it takes a couple years to get a good assessment. Uh, and then it takes a, a year or two to get a funding plan and get buy-in to that. And then, you know, so that's four years, and then we have six years of actually putting that <coughs> level in. So when you look at that, this is like ten, the culmination of 10 years of good planning and good effort. But as you go through any preventative maintenance sort of process, you uh, you refine it more and more and more. And so the first thing is, well, are the vehicles safe to, to, to travel the roadways? And then you're getting into guardrails 
and now we're at down to the level of sidewalks and actually we're not only just at the level of sidewalks but we're looking at the complete streets program which you heard about two meetings ago where we're looking at not just fixing sidewalks and roadways but enhancing them with with um, better pedestrian um, uh, access uh, multimodal uh, transportation like bike lanes and things of that nature this is all great stuff, and we know from the master plan that this is one of the top two. It's the second highest priority that came out of the master plan. Um, but now you're talking about having, uh, and, and we'll talk about this shortly, you know, another appropriation level for sidewalks. So if the state does not come through with Chapter 90 money, um, the only option for us is to raise taxes. And so we're trying to spread this out, and we're trying to plan to be responsible. Um, and uh, I believe our efforts are paying off at the state at the state level. Like I said, they've dipped their toes in moving it up to 300 million. There's a very, very clear uh, data-supported case for why that should happen. And uh, if they do that, uh, we'll be in much better shape. We won't be perfect, but uh, we we shouldn't be losing ground moving forward. So. Uh, just some context for the discussion. Thank you, John. Uh, so both of the plans John referenced, the uh, pavement management plan and the, uh, the sidewalk management report, both of those are available on the DPW website. They have listings of all of the sidewalks, the locations, the conditions, the materials. Um, all that data is available. Uh, we use that data beyond that to develop our capital plan looking forward. Um, one of our goals uh, here is for, for, for roadway management is to touch 10% of our roads. We have 80 miles of roads in town that uh, we manage, not the uh, state highways. Um, our goal is to touch 10% uh, of those with a variety of treatments. One thing we try, one, one uh, uh, effort that we do is to use um, uh, expansive preventative treatments like uh, crack seal and uh, chip seal, to things like you, know, you see the crack fills in the, in the roadways. Um, stops water from getting to the pavement. Water doesn't get in the pavement, the pavement doesn't blow apart. Um, it's a good expenditure of the dollars. What we can't do is fix the worst first. So if we were to uh, mill an overlay and, um, and, and shimmer roadway, you know, that can be $15 a square yard. Um, the money goes pretty far. If you do a full reconstruction of a roadway, that's three or four times as much. So you're doing a quarter of 20% of the roadways. Um, that's not going to get us to meet our goal, and um, there's a lot of uh, uh, analytical data shown in a variety of reports that indicate if you do that, your grades go down townwide. You just you just can't do it that way. So again, our goal is 10% of the roads. We have a program developed this year. A contractor has been awarded, um, but what we're here to talk about is FY23, um, and the goal and expectation in FY23 when we expend these funds is also to comply with our complete streets policy that the Board of Selectmen adopted um, in, Feb in February. So uh, that's, that's our goal and objective here is, is to take a more comprehensive approach uh, in lieu of what the community wants, which is uh, related to accessibility and sidewalks. At, at some point, um, when we put this request in in the capital plan using free 300000 in free cash, that was when the state increased it. Uh, and then re and then we lost it again, and we wanted to stay with the plan. We didn't want to lose ground. Uh, ultimately, you know, we should be talking about increasing the tax dollars on an annual basis that are uh, dedicated to, you know, to side to uh, roadway maintenance. That's just it's just difficult because you're trying to manage the tax impact and all the other needs. And um, 
So we've been patching this plan together using 300000 in free cash each year. Yeah. Uh, in an ideal world, that 300 would be in the budget base, and we'd be talking about maybe another 300 in free cash to really get us moving in a, in a, good, in a good positive trend. But, but uh, again, we're doing better than most. And, yeah. and, you know, the most important thing is we know exactly where we are, and we know exactly where we'll be if the town doesn't approve this funding. We can tell you exactly what that trend looks like and where you'll be in two, three, four, five years. So what we always try to do when we're, we're trying to fix an overwhelming problem like infrastructure is we try to pick a middle path of let's at least stem the bleeding and not lose ground and then try to find additional resources to get us on a, on a good upward trend. And that's what we've been able to do. And, uh, but like everything else with infrastructure, you know, new things pop up. You know, these culverts, I think, flew under the radar. In some instances, you know, they're 30-year pieces of infrastructure that, you know, were largely you know, forgotten about. And as we go through, and Scott's done a full inventory and an assessment, now we're trying to get through to, to address those, which is actually a, a good lead into a, yeah. to one of his other requests. But maybe, maybe, I'll let you go on the order. Well, thank you. Maybe, um, maybe we should skip forward and skip over the, the one-ton dump truck and go right to the, the culvert and drainage replacement. Um, it's a good lead-in. So we had this identified in the capital plan a couple of years ago. Um, it was uh, pushed off due to uh, budgetary constraints related to the pandemic. It's here. Um, as John indicated, we did a complete culvert, uh, town-wide culvert inventory. Um, we have G uh, GPS to every, every culvert location. We have identified the materials, the conditions. Um, we know what we own, we know what we have, we know how it is. Um, it's not that bad, but there are ones out there that are, that are uh, uh, in very poor condition. One of the problems with culverts, a lot of the old culverts are galvanized steel um, corrugated pipe. They convey stormwater, and, and uh, stormwater has sediment in it. As sediment runs down the um, base of these pipes along the, along the inverts, that sediment is, is um, erosive, and it, it, it erodes away the galvanizing. The galvanizing then um, exposes the, uh, uh, the steel, the steel rusts, and now right along the flow line, you have um, pipe failure. And I described this earlier on Rice Ave. Eventually, the entire bottom of the pipe fails. It goes away in little pieces, and the whole top of the pipe falls. And when that falls, the road falls with it. Um, it's a problem. It happened at uh, Ridge Road. That's why the plates were there. It happened at Davis Ave. Um, it happened at, um, at Lincoln Street. You'll see that identified as one of the possible uses for this funding uh, request. Lincoln Street has a culvert uh, just facing the elementary school just to the right-hand side. Uh, there was a barrel on it for a little while. You see a roadway patch there now. Um, the culvert failed. There's a hole in it uh, probably twice as long as the table and half the width um, along the entire side of the pipe. The pipe fell in. The road fell in with it. Um, DPW was able to do a temporary repair. Um, if you're familiar with that location, that, that culvert conveys a Cold Harbor um, uh, brook, and there's lar very large wetlands on each side. Um, it's an environmental resource. It's a critical culvert pretty critical location adjacent to the elementary school. There's a sidewalk on top of it. Um, we're currently in the design and permitting phase for that culvert. Our expectation is to be going before the Conservation Commission in April <coughs> for, uh, for permitting associated with the culvert. Um, and thereafter, we want to seek some, some potential grant funding. Um, there's a quite a bit of grant funding out there. One of the issues with culvert replacement grants are some of the environmental constraints tied to it. 
Uh, Massachusetts has stream crossing standards. A uh, few of those standards are natural bottom, which is not hard to manage. You can just bury the bottom of the culvert and put a, you know, material in it. Another one, which is the more challenging one, is um, uh, uh, bank width. So you measure the bank on the upstream side and the downstream side, and your culvert on the inside should be the same, should be 1.2 times that width. That way the stream, under normal flow conditions, flows right through that culvert over a natural bottom as if it is its, its own stream. That can be problematic. Um, old culverts are small, they tend to back up water on the upstream side, so often you'll see large wetlands on the upstream, and that large wetland impacts what that bank width is. Um, so we're in the process of doing that evaluation on this culvert, like we do with all of them. Um, often it's, it's um, uh, prohibitive to try to meet that standard, but if we can, we will, and we'll seek grant funding. Um, there's a couple of resources to do that. Um, some of the good things about the, the, the Cold Harbor Brook is it is not um, uh, an endangered species habitat. Um, well, bad things is it's not a cold water uh, fishery either. There's no brook trout running through there. Um, so it, it ties our hands in some fashions uh, when it comes to grant funding. But there are other drainage issues in town. We have a, um, you know, a culvert on Whitney Street that is the same age as the one on Church Street. Obviously doesn't see nearly as much traffic as Church Street, nor uh, has it uh, been expanded like Church Street was um, before we rebuilt it, but it's the same era. You look in it, you look up, it's the same thing. It's those large split granite blocks on the top, on top of dry stack stones. Um, those things scour. So we have those in town still. We're aware of them, we keep an eye on them because we know which ones are problematic. Um, so there's other drainage issues out there. You'll see the other half of, of the request title, a culvert and drainage replacement. Well, we have a lot of subdivisions out there. A lot of older subdivisions use the same type of pipe. And it captures roadway drainage off the catch basins that has sand in it, and the sand gets in the pipe. It erodes it out just like a culvert does. Um, these are small 12-inch pipes, but they're all over the neighborhoods. And when they fail, the road falls in. I can't fix the road with the prior request until the pipe underneath is fixed with a request like this. Um, and I have that conversation with a lot of residents. It's, it's a difficult one to have, but it's important that we fix underground first before we pave the road. Um, so those problems are around town. Um, and we're proactive with it. When we see repeat problems in, in areas, we'll get out a video and we'll document it. So we have a lot of reports <coughs> and documentation about issues like that um, in town and we're aware of them. Um, and when a road falls in, that has to be our priority. So looking forward in future years, I know we're here for FY23, but in future years, those are placeholders because we know there are problems. Um, and pending any catastrophic failures like, you know, Davis Ave or, or Ridge, there's uses for those funds in the future years. But this one, um, it's either small drain pipes in neighborhoods or the Liggett Street uh, culvert. So just rounding out this discussion, if I may chime in again. Uh, again, we're spending a lot of time on this. This is in one way or another it's the top legislative priority and it is one of the top priorities that have come out of the master plan so infrastructure is very critical to us but let me just round the discussion out a little bit so we spend 1.1 million dollars right now that's in the budget base it includes you know typically 300,000 in, in free cash what we really need to be spending is another 300,000 on road uh, 300,000 on roads another 250 on culverts, and another at least 200,000 on an annual basis on sidewalks. 
So that's about $750,000. I'd round it up to a million, but let's just stick with the 750 number. So we're, we currently are spending on an annual basis 1.1. We really need to be spending another 750000 Well, we're arguing that the state should be contributing at least another 300000 And then the town is going to have to find a way then to come up with, on an incremental basis, a little bit more towards, uh, towards these things. That's why in the proposal that went to the Board of Selectmen at the meeting on, uh, on Monday, March 14th, there was a request for $400,000 of ARPA funds. And I know that this body has, has had a discussion about the use of these one-time ARPA funds. And when it comes to things like sidewalks and roadways, you know, one of the biggest and the most difficult things to do is to take care of that backlog so you can, so you're not paying for past sins and you can get on a funding schedule that, that you're routinely maintaining, as Scott said, we're touching 10% of our roadways, right? So that's why, in our opinion, uh, again, the top legislative priority, the second highest master plan request, that's why the request went into the board for ARPA funding. Um, the board on Monday declined for the time being to authorize that funding, but uh, you know I think part of it is this committee uh, helping to make a case and explain why those one-time ARPA funds are going to be absolutely critical to us addressing some of that backlog to accelerate this plan. Otherwise, you're constantly behind you know, behind the eight ball. It's very similar to like an unfunded pension liability. You're paying for your past sins. On an ongoing basis, we're taking care of the liability that's accruing, but we're really paying for past sins. In the case of our infrastructure, on an ongoing basis, if everything was in good shape, we'd be close to taking care of, uh, on, a, on an annual basis, what we should be doing in terms of investment. But we are paying for past sins, and those past sins are 20, 30 years old. And, uh, and, and, it's, and they're expensive. So anytime you can get an extra piece of money to put towards that backlog, like ARPA funding, arguably that would be an excellent use. So uh, on, at the meeting on March 28th, the board is gonna be taking some additional comment. And uh, so if anybody has any thoughts on that, they should plan to attend the meeting on the 28th uh, as a committee member, as an individual, encouraging the board as to why this backlog, this investment in backlog is important. And when we put the proposal together, we focused on sidewalks, mainly because we have, we know exactly where we are in the roadways, right? We just finished that sidewalk master plan. We have a backlog of $1.5 million of sidewalks that are in poor or fair condition. And we have $4.5 million in ARPA funding uh, in total over, over two years, it would be an excellent and advisable use to take a good chunk of that ARPA funding to work off some of that backlog so we can get on a funding schedule. Otherwise, the alternative is if you want to get your sidewalks and your roadways in good shape and a good plan, is we're going to, we're going to need to increase tax dollars that are dedicated specifically to, to infrastructure. So, but uh, we are looking at all, any and all grant opportunities. I think there's a, a, an opportunity for us to obtain uh, grant funding for some culverts, potentially some road work, some sidewalks, all of that. It's really gonna take a combination of all of this 
including those grants, to get us on a good funding schedule across the board with regard to our infrastructure. So um, as much as it's nice to take what uh, some folks have characterized as this windfall of money, it's really not a windfall of money, number one. It's about 2% on the budget each year. And the other piece of it is, uh, as we discussed, you want to be careful just like using free cash or any one-time revenues that it should be going towards one-time expenses. You can't put those monies in the operating budget and create a structural deficit because they're, they're only going to be here for spread out over two years. Capital, and in particular, critical infrastructure, according to GFOA, is the number one use for this type of money. And it was a long discussion. He's not going to, we're not going to take this long on every one of his requests, but this is, in my opinion, the most critical. And, uh, and it is on deck as part of the discussion with the Board of Selectmen for why ARPA funding really, some portion of ARPA funding has got to be used, in my opinion, uh, to deal with some of the backlog here. So thank you for your attention on that one. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. So the next. Um Few requests are all equipment and vehicle related. I don't know if there's any inquiries or, or commentary on the sidewalks um, and, and roadway work. So, going back one page, we got the one ton dump truck with plow um, for $130,000. We have uh, seven of these in our fleet. We, um, their life expectancy is useful life is about 12 years. Um, they're our primary uh, workhorse in the department. They are the F-550s, or now they're F-600s you see driving around. Um, we have, again, seven of them. We push to get 14 years out of each one of these. Um, so we purchase one every other year. That way, the 14, you know, every 14 years, we're getting rid of one. Um, part of the request here of $130,000 is to repurpose um, older vehicles. What I don't want to do is buy a brand new um, F600 and put a patch body on it, um, which is a very abusive lifestyle for a truck. Um, it's not a pleasant uh, going. So we move the, the hot box to one of the older vehicles. This is the front of the fleet vehicle. And as it gets older, it works its way down the, down the line um, and ends up being a patch truck. Um, that's the last unfortunate uh, existence for these trucks. So again, we have we have uh, seven of them. Fourteen years out of a, out of the workhorse at DPW is is a is a is a good good lifespan for for any work vehicle. Um, you'll see the number jump around a little bit. Um, that depends on what the outfitting is. So the 130 and 140s you see, 130 in 2023, and 40 in 27. Those are the same truck, standard dump body with a plow. Um, the 2025 one includes a new hot box. Um, that hot box is a very corrosive piece of equipment. Um, it, in the wintertime, it's hot all winter. You know, we keep cold patch in it. Um, you keep that truck plugged in and warm so that in the event there's a catastrophic, a catastrophic failure at two in the morning in February, I don't have a solid block of black sitting in my box. I have something that's pliable and usable so we can come out and fix something like a Lincoln Street culvert that failed at 2 in the morning. Um, that's what these trucks do. So that's why you see the numbers bop around a bit. Um, this is on its regular cycle. This was not a postponement from COVID. The next vehicle you'll see 
uh, next piece of equipment you'll see is a front end loader. This was uh, postponed due to the pandemic. Um, it's a $290,000 request. Um, this is the larger of our two loaders. We have two um, John Deere loaders in our fleet, a 644 and a 524. This is the larger of the two. Um, this one is um, used um, for a variety of purposes. We plow uh, parking lots with it with a large pusher box. Um, it loads a lot of material. You'll see the stockpiles of material we have, the leaves and brush and uh, spoils and millings at the, at the yard. This, vehicle, this, this piece of equipment is what stacks all that. Um, it also um, performs a, a, a salt loading in the wintertime. Um, we prefer to use our oldest one for that because, again, it's a, not a very pleasant way to uh, uh, end your life, life as, a, as a piece of equipment is loading salt in the winter. Um, but we work hard to keep these maintained. So what, what this um, request includes, and you'll see in the description, uh, a $14,000 allocation toward refurbishing the, four, the 2014. So that's the 544, that's a 524. That one will be refurbished um, by John Deere. And then that one will be the older one and will serve the purposes of loading salt. Um, and we'll keep that cycle going, going, going through. Um, you'll see the, in FY28 that 320 is the replacement of the one that's being refurbished now. Um, these vehicles, these, these pieces of equipment, you can get generally 14, 15 years out of them. Um, that's about it. It's, it's not what um, you would see at a mulch yard that, that can sit there for 25 years that literally goes 300 feet in each direction. Um, you know, this will go all over town. We, when, we, when we take down large... Uh, Tom's on here, but large chestnut trees. There was one around, around the corner from his house we took down. It was a 48-inch diameter tree. Um, this is the only piece of equipment that'll pick that up. Nothing else will pick that up. Um, so that's what this, this, this piece of equipment does. Um, so it, it, and he lives up way up on Howard Street. That's a long ride. <laughs> um, so that's our, that's our loader request. The next is um, one of our large uh, uh, dump trucks uh, and plow truck. Uh, this was postponed also due to, um, due to the pandemic. We have um, 11 of these in service. They, we, we try to get 20 years out of each one of them. That's our goal and objective. So we purchase one every other year. There's always one straggler. That's the catch basin truck. Um, that doesn't, doesn't do a lot uh, of traveling, but it's there when needed. It's got a clamshell on it doesn't just clean catch basins because we hire that out, um, but it does emergency responses. So when we have a beaver dam at a culvert, we get that truck out there with a clamshell, it backs over the curb, gets it in the mud, and pulls the beaver dam debris out. Um, it'll do sediment removal as well from culverts. Often when you have a culvert discharge, you have fast water going in, carrying a lot of sediment. When it spans out to the wetland, it slows down. When it slows, it drops the sediment. Then you end up with a delta at the discharge of the culvert, that's problematic because water backs up to the inlet side. So then you have a delta there. So um, this is primarily what this, what this uh, that, that, that um, uh, 11th vehicle does. So these are um, the large Mack trucks. Typically we have some older internationals that we're trading in an international um, under this request for $340,000. And this, you'll see the numbers jump around a bit because there's a variety of these vehicles. They're not all the same. You know, the standard one would be the $300,000 one you see in 2026. Um, the one you see this year is, is $340,000. That's a wing plow. 
Um, it's got the big plow on the side of it, you see, that sticks out when we have very large storm events. It does shelving, and it'll do two, you know, a lane and a half at a time. Um, it's our only wing plow. You know, every DPW fleet should have a wing plow in its, in its arsenal for blizzards. It's needed. It's like a pusher box for your, for your loader. You're not going to need it on the roads very often, but when you do, you better have a blade for that, for that loader as well, because that's needed. Um, you'll see the next year, FY24 is another large amount. Well, that's a four-wheel drive vehicle. That's a four-wheel drive uh, Mack truck with a center belly scraper and a rear discharge. Um, we have one of those in our fleet. It's actually a custom-made Mack. It's a little longer and a little taller than any other one to accommodate this, the belly scraper. Belly scraper pulls, cl cleans the slime off the road before the salt hits it. Saves you a lot of salt. When you're discharging salt in the middle, um, you tie, the, the truck tires smash it, and then all that little bit of salt, all that little bit of snow eats up the salt. So you waste way more material. Uh, we need some four-wheel drive vehicles to get up around the farms. We're not going up, you know, Green and Ball um, and Smith uh, and Upper Howard in a, in a conventional Mac. We're going to need a four-wheel drive vehicle up there. So that's why you see these numbers kind of bounce around a little bit. They're all a little bit custom. Um, and we will do uh, some, some repurposing. There's a couple different kinds of sanders. There's one that has a, a chassis mount that's a sander, and, and then we need to take the dump truck off it and onto it when it's, when it's the uh, construction season. So there'll be some repurposing associated with these. Again, these trucks, uh, we try to get 20 years out of them. They live very corrosive lives. Um, you know, they're, 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 they're running salt. They're, they're in a very uh, uh, corrosive environment. Uh, we do our best to keep them clean. And when you go there, it's, it's if you, can't tell the difference between a, the back of an International and the back of a Mac, you're going to have a hard time telling the difference between the 16-year-old one and, the, and the, the brand new one until you crawl under it and you look at it and you realize the, the, the spreader is probably you know, hanging on by a thread. Um, so again, we have 11 of these. Um, we ask for a request every other year. We, t in the past, had these opposite years. So we would have the, the F550 on one set of years and then the these on the opposite set of years. I would indicated earlier that F550 was not pushed off because of the pandemic. This one was. That's why you have these two in the same year. Our goal and objective is to buy equipment in the F550 year, the more expensive equipment, a loader. You know, maybe a backhoe in the in the big truck year and a more expensive thing in the in the little truck year. Um, but we have this bubble, this capital bubble that's been pushed forward. Um, that's why we have a big and a little, a loader and a backhoe in the same year. Speaking of backhoes, that's our last piece of equipment. Um, they're all yellow. Um, this is to replace our 2005 uh, backhoe. Again, these pieces of equipment um, are generally in that 15-year range. Um, the backhoe is the Swiss Army knife of a DPW. It does everything. Oh, it does everything good, nothing great. Um, if, if, if anybody's done any excavating, having a backhoe in the middle of the road on Smith and try to dig a hole while letting traffic go by doesn't work well. That's why we have a mini excavator. Um, but there are times when you need the backhoe, when you have four or five different tasks that need to be done at a site, and you need a, a loader and a hoe and a hook, and you need to be able to move materials and equipment, and it needs to be done quickly. So when something bad happens, this is generally the first thing you see there. We can get it there quickly, and we can get it in, on the ground and in the hole fast. Um, again, we have two backhoes. You'll see this is an 05. Um, we also have a 2015, and as part of this request, 
we're going to rehab the 15. We want to get the full 15 years out of these pieces of equipment um, to keep them in good working order. You know, if we're a, a contractor and we use a backhoe that does septic systems and, it, and it, ours breaks, we'll go rent one, tell our customer, I'll be there in two days, I had to rent one. The public works can't do that. You know, if something happened, something, we have to have a backhoe. Um, if, if a road fails, I, I can't wait for two days and then to fill it in because the kids can't get to school. Um, so this request is for $195,000. You'll see our other backhoes at 2015. Doesn't appear in the, in the schedule going forward for six years because we've got plenty more years coming out of it. Um, this backhoe, yeah, 17 years old um, by the time we get it. So one thing to kind of close out the, the, um, the equipment piece of this, um, everybody's familiar with the current environment with trying to purchase just about anything. Um, my son was sick. I bought Pedialyte. There was one bottle. I went to two stores. Um, never mind equipment like this. So when you order the Mack truck, let's say, when you order our large, our large plow truck, 12 months would be a dream for that to show up. It's generally going to be an 18-month 18, 18 turnaround. Those are custom-made. When you buy it, they make it for you. Um, you don't go to the John Deere store and you pick out the, the backhoe on the shelf and you get it. Um, this will be at least nine months to get. The loader will likely be longer. Um, there are uh, 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 my peers out there who have had orders canceled. I believe we've, we may have even had some in town in other departments where you put in a PO, you order the piece of equipment, you spec it, and then three months later you get a letter that says, sorry, we can't get it for you. You're not going to get it. Um, quotes now are good for 30 days. You know, we're, we, we, we start this process in October with John looking at these, these capital plans, and we put numbers together. And we meet three or four times, and we come to, I come before, before you guys a um, couple times, and then town meeting. It's, it's, it's challenging right now to, to purchase equipment and try to project where the number is when your vendor sends you a number and says, I need a PO in a week because the number's going to change. Um, so you know, we're doing our best to, to manage the, the, the finances. Um, Will one of these things where we said we're going to use $14,000 to rehabilitate an old, a newer piece of vehicle, will that fourteen grand end up being eight? I don't know. I, I hope not. I hope it ends up being 16. I hope we put $5,000 back in. You know, when, when, when we, we buy Mack trucks years ago, um, we get them outfitted, we do a repurposing on another one. You know, every, every two years I talk to our, our finance director and say, yep, we got 4800 bucks. we're putting it back in. We put it back into the free cash, John gets it on the free cash plan, and we give it back. There's no reason to spend it if it, the vehicle doesn't need it. Um, I'm hoping that happens still, <laughs> but I don't have a lot of confidence because I don't know where the numbers are going for the next year. So, in in terms of the in terms of the out years, you know, every year uh, uh, each department head comes into you. And <coughs> you can see every project, and you've got uh, a description in detail and a financial a financing plan for every project in in that's being contemplated by the department in the next six years so i what you see as you look at the plan in the out years is mostly the repetition of the regular equipment replacement scott says you got a truck last 20 years you got 11 of them you know you're doing one roughly every other year this year uh we do have a, a little bit of a bunching up because of the postponement of the capital investments due to COVID. We took that money and we used it to deal with the pandemic. Uh, 
So we delayed some of that investment. So right now, under the fiscal 2023 plan, uh, we're looking at 1.7, roughly, in equipment and infrastructure investment uh, from the DPW. And as you look at the out years, it's mostly equipment uh, that's being uh, replicated. There's a couple of other uh, potential um, uh, projects at Memorial Field and uh, a dog park that's being uh, designed or will be designed uh, with a, an appropriation from the CPC at this year's annual town meeting. So there's things like that out there. The only project, uh, and we can, Scott can talk about any of these in any detail that you'd like, but the only other project uh, I really want him to talk about right now is the, um, is the DPW garage tight tank. Because one of the things that we're trying to do here, you know, as you look at uh, these equipment replacements, and then every so often you've got a, an expense that isn't like one of these equipment uh, pieces. And, uh, and that's a $400,000 expense. And at your last meeting, I'll note that it's one of the projects that we proposed. It's scheduled for fiscal 2024, which is not the upcoming fiscal year, which is 23. It's for the year after. Uh, but the idea was, you know, you, you, never, you always have more needs than you have funding. And so the concept that we were looking at was, you know, we can take out a couple of these uh, one-time, they're not recurring equipment replaces, where you can take one of those out of that six-year plan. You just free up capacity to do any other capital projects that, that come forward. So we had proposed um, that $400,000 uh, for this um, tight tank project. Uh, to be funded potentially with, with ARPA funding. Uh, that was also one of the projects that the board uh, uh, decided to um, not move forward with on Monday. So it doesn't mean they're not going to, but they, they did not choose to appropriate uh, ARPA funding for that. But again, it comes back to in terms of this six-year plan and why did we bring that forward for ARPA funding? Well, the idea is we're trying to, 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 to create capacity within this six-year capital budget, which is always a struggle. And every year we have to decide what are we going to fund, what can we postpone, what can we get grants for. And so you, you always have more needs than you have available resources. We've done an excellent job of making sure that every department gets what it absolutely needs, not necessarily what they would like to preferably ideally have. So, uh, again, using ARPA funding to knock out a $400,000 project would be great in all likelihood if we don't use ARPA funding in all likelihood, we would probably have to finance that project with debt uh, because we don't, on an annual basis, generate enough available funds to be able to do all the equipment replaces, placements and then also do a big project like a $400,000 tight tank. So maybe just briefly, yeah, sure. I know we're going, um, uh, you've got a, a long agenda tonight, but just briefly what that project consists of, Scott. So our, um, before, no, before we get to that, just yes. on the back one, you, you have two fiscal year 23s. Okay. Just might want to fix that. Oh, okay. Thank That's you. Scott's version. Yes. When I'm done, <laughs> it won't be there. <laughs> Only one back over two years. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, our sanitary sewer system that runs along Main Street uh, terminates at um, Sammy's. Uh, that's the last service. Highway garage and police station are further down. Um, the highway garage is uh, served uh, for the sanitary sewer by a septic system. Large septic system, but a septic system. So, like I indicated earlier about our salt trucks, uh, we wash them. We wash them after every use. Well, 
after every storm, we use them all, you know, six to ten times during a storm. Um, but after every use, we wash them. We wash them indoors, so the uh, uh, wash water is captured. It goes into our floor drains. Those floor drains then go to our leach field. That's pretty um, uh, uh, high salinity water um, running into our leaching field. Um, that's not proper. That's not good housekeeping in accordance with Mass DEP. Um, we have not been ordered or, or issued a, a, a notice of noncompliance, nor an administrative consent order from MassDEP for it. Um, I'm not asking them to, um, but it's not good practice. Not good practice for your septic system. Um, it's not good practice for the pipes getting there. Um, so it's, it's problematic. Uh, what is typically done in, what, not typically, what is done in new facilities that are built without um, sanitary sewer, municipal sewer, they have tight tanks for this. Um, it's a, just a large, um, generally it's a large uh, steel tank or fiberglass tank that's, that's buried. You'll use steel and um, non-corrosive soils. In this case, I would have a fiberglass tank because of the salt going into it. Um, so you divert those floor drains to a tight tank. Um, we have our mechanic bay that has floor drains as well. Those floor drains, they can't discharge to, to the surface water. That's a pretty caustic environment in a mechanics bay. Those discharge to a um, oil water separator and then goes to the leach field. Oil water separator catches floatables and, and settle, settleables. Um, so all the, all the solids settle to the bottom, the grit and stuff when you're in the mechanics bay, and the oils float to the top so the oils don't go to the septic system. Anything soluble goes to the septic system. Um, VOCs end up you know, in your uh, oil water separator and they go out your vent. So the, 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 this project includes two tight tanks, one for the mechanics bay, where the, where the material coming out is, is very low volume, but it can be pretty nasty. And the other tight tank is larger for the wash bay, uh, for the wash drain, and um, that's a less, less caustic material, but it's, it's certainly corrosive. Um, so the two tight tanks would be located um, if you're familiar with the highway garage, there's a, uh, like a, a little angle in the back where we have some tanks by where the dumpsters are. Um, that's a potential expansion area, so if we ever do need to have a wash bay, um, that could be there, so it would be just beyond that, essentially where the two uh, roll-off dumpsters are. If you've ever been through Take It or Leave It or Hazardous Waste Day, those dumpsters are big blue, everybody sees them. Um, that's where the tanks would be. We. Uh, performed a stormwater pollution prevention plan back in 2017 um, for compliance with the uh, MS4 stormwater permitting through EPA. Part of that uh, is a uh, good housekeeping for the facility. That's where this was identified as a need. It's been in the capital plan as a need. Um, unfortunately, as John indicated, you know, the bubble can, it has to get pushed forward when the finances don't allow accommodating everything. Um, so it's a project that was presented to the selectmen uh, as part of the ARPA funds. It's been in the capital plan for a while. Um, it still appears in the capital plan. So just kind of to close out the general fund piece, you know, there were three pieces, there were three projects that were pushed off because of the pandemic. There was the drainage for $300,000. There was the loader for $290,000, and there was the large plow truck, uh, dump truck for $340,000. So just shy of a million dollars worth of capital pushed off from the pandemic lying here in FY23.
The only other capital item we have for FY23 will be on the second page. It's under the two enterprise funds. This would be the sewer enterprise fund. You'll see a request for $360,000 for inflow and infiltration mitigation. So I'll give you a brief description. I'll try to make it quick. Um, inflow and infiltration uh, is, is, is groundwater or stormwater getting to the sewer system. Mass, uh, EPA and MassDEP mandated us, as with every single uh, municipal sewer system, to do an INI infiltration and inflow uh, elimination plan. So we submitted the plan, it got approved by DEP. 15 years, we're gonna video inspect every single pipe in town and every manhole and do flow isolation to determine where water, clean water is getting into our sewers. Um, inflow and in, uh, INI elimination is critical for this community for a couple reasons. Um, one, um, we don't have our own treatment plant. So um, everything we have goes to Marlboro. The uh, concentration of sewage varies greatly depending on how much sewage versus how much stormwater is in there. Um, that, that fluctuation isn't good for, for the treatment plant um, and it's not good for our pump stations. The more important reason for this community to eliminate our INI is every gallon of stormwater and groundwater we stop from getting in is another gallon of capacity we have. You know, we, we discharge, let's say, 500,000 gallons a day to, to Marlboro. Um, through this plan, we're hoping to stop over 50,000 gallons a day of water getting into the system. Um, that's 50,000 gallons of capacity. That's development. Developers look for a few things, you know, obviously land, and then they need water and sewer. So we got plenty of water. The MWA will sell us all we want to buy. Um, sewage, we have capacity limitations with the city of Marlboro and the EPA. Eliminating gallons complies with DEP, complies with EPA, and gets us more capacity, which pro provides us a more desirable, um, developable uh, outcome for, for people coming into town. So that's, that's how we get it. Um, again, the goal and objective is, is to uh, eliminate upwards of 50,000 gallons a day of, of INI for FY23. Going forward, you'll see it periodic every other year. Um, that's what's in the plan that we submitted to the DEP. As you go forward, it gets harder and harder to eliminate. Um, you know, we did the INI plan to capture the, the, the areas that were thought to be problematic first. High groundwater, old pipes, pump stations that seem to be working wicked hard when it rains. Um, so we captured those, the first INI program. This is the second one, and we, you know, as we go forward, it's gonna go from gushers to drippers. But we still have to do it going forward. Um, so you'll spend just as much money just doing less. So this is a critical year. It's mandated by MassDEP. We're already committed to doing it. Um, but it's a good economic investment for, um, for the town. And this would be paid for out of um, the sewer enterprise fund, uh, retained earnings, um, the fund balance. It's been part of the rate study. It's developed in there. And it's, it's part of the consideration. Uh, it's been that way for quite some time. And those are all of the capital requests for FY23. Scott, question. On your equipment, your rolling stock, approximately how much of your maintenance spend is done by the town staff versus outsourced to other Okay, that's a good question, John. We, we, we budget a little over $80,000 a year for um, uh, equipment maintenance in-house. 
um, generally will farm out um, about a quarter of that. Um, it can fluctuate greatly when you have an engine failure. Like one of the uh, trucks recently that we had purchased, the repurpose was a, was a big number because we swapped an engine. We had just replaced an engine on an older older chassis, and I'm not going to trade in an old chassis with a brand new you know, V10 in it. So mechanic wasn't happy about that, but he swapped engines. Um, it, it extended the life. Um, snow season is much more uh, uh, problematic because when things break, we can't necessarily sit it on the shelf. If we have a, a blizzard and two trucks go down, we got to send the bad one out because I can't have the mechanic work in two weeks on those trucks because there's another storm coming. So in the wintertime, it fluctuates greatly, but generally somewhere in the quarter, quarter range, we, we farm out. Okay. We, we have a, uh, a heavy equipment mechanic on uh, full-time heavy equipment right, right. mechanic on staff. He'll replace turbos, differentials. You know, he does top ends, um, you know, where, where, when, when it's a, a calibration issue or chasing an electrical ghost, you're better off just sending it out because I don't want him spending a week working on an electrical ghost at a plow truck. He's got other, he's got chains to replace. He's got things that, that need to be done. Thank you. For anybody who has a piece of equipment, I understand what an electrical ghost is. <laughs> I have a question, Scott. Yes, Bill. Uh, on the inflow and infiltration, I guess it's one question, two parts. It, like the um, roadways and the sidewalks, is there a grading system for that? And mm -hmm. then you mentioned 50,000 gallons a day. Sounds great, but is that good? Is it, could, could it be better? Like, what, what's the benchmark? Our system is in good shape. It's not that old. Um, some of the older communities have uh, clay tile pipe. We don't. Our oldest sewer pipe is transite, uh, uh, asbestos concrete. Um, that can be problematic, asbestos concrete, when it gets wet and dry, wet and dry, wet and dry, it gets punky, kind of like a drywall would. Um, that could be problematic. Um, we're generally in pretty good shape, though. We have transite. Uh, we don't have a lot of fl high fluctuating groundwater like you would in like a Quincy or Braintree or something. Um, the, um, the elimination portion of it, we, we, like I said, we video inspect every line and we do flow isolation as well. You'll see them working out in the middle of the night. What they do is they put a plug in one manhole and they put a flow monitor in the downhill manhole and you look. And two o'clock in the morning, not a lot of toilets are flushing. And you can tell the difference between an instantaneous flow from a flush or groundwater coming through and you monitor how much groundwater is coming through. And we know it's a bad one. We run, we run cameras up there. There's a, a national standard for video inspecting pipes that identifies types of leaks, types of cracks, longitudinal traverse cracks, um, the, the, the severity of the failure. It's got a color grading system. Um, we do that on our drains as well. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty cool report to read because you know, you've got all these pipe segments and it's just a line with a bunch of manholes and little sticks coming out the sides and there's all these colors in it. You know, you know, Orange, red, what you would think, yellow. Yellow's not that bad, red's really bad, orange is kind of in the middle. And we have every single pipe videoed over the 15 years. So we have all those reports. Um, that is available in, um, in our, our GPS system as well, in our GIS system as well. So it's, it's a massive amount of data. Um, I thank goodness that we have engineers to go through it all, and it's not me, I, I used to do that. Um, but it's, it's an interesting report to look at. Thank, Thank you, Mr. Scott. Chairman. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. As usual. I know why I brought him in on two separate nights. 
<laughs> the update on what he's the projects he's doing and then to separate uh, looking forward this is still a lot going on in that department thank you john thank you scott all right next order of business the schools welcome thank you uh, good evening, everyone. I'm uh, Keith Lavoie. I'm the Assistant Superintendent of Operations for the School District. And we have a couple of projects to review with you this evening to let you know where we are. Some are more exciting than others. Uh, certainly, S Scott was mesmerizing with a lot of the stuff he has. And I hope to provide uh, the same level of detail for you so you get a good picture of where we are. So the three projects that we're going to review, there are two at Algonquin Regional High School. One is very exciting and the other not so much. Uh, the athletic complex, uh, we're really looking forward to uh, full renovation to the athletic complex and give you an idea of where we are now in that, in that process. The next project is the redundant hot water heater, which has been a, uh, deemed a priority part of our capital plan. And we are working closely with John and the um, town administrator in Southboro to work on the details of getting that moved forward to a procurement process. And the last is to discuss the Proctor School. Um, we have drainage and roof issues at Proctor uh, that we are addressing. Some of them are low-hanging fruit and some of them are higher up. And uh, I'll be sharing more of the higher up ones uh, with you this evening. So uh, we're going to get right into it with the Algonquin Athletic Complex. The district contracted with Gale Associates uh, to complete a schematic design for a new athletic complex. Uh, Gale Associates has been a part of this review for, for many years with us, and we did contract with them recently to do a more in deep, uh, detailed review of the plans and what we'd like to uh, bring forward to both communities. Uh, the idea as it stands right now is once this schematic design is complete and once all estimates are, are brought in, uh, Superintendent Martineau is going to review those numbers uh, with the school committee and then to share it at the town meeting as a presentation. It won't be a votable item. It's not going to have, uh, you know, the opportunity for appropriation at the time. And, and uh, Kathy is going to be mentioning some of the reasons why we're not pushing that forward at this point. So. Uh, before I hand it over to Kathy to give you more detail on where we are with the, with the schematic design, are there any questions about where we are at this point? Kathy, what's your last name for the record? Purple, A-G-R-V-O-L. Yep, so Kathy has um, a presentation for you this evening to talk you through about where we are, and I see everyone has the blue copies there. So Kathy Hervol is the project manager for Gale Associates, and I'm very happy to welcome her to, up to the table. And thank you all for having us in and filling you in on the project. Um, just so you know, Gail's done, oh God, 80, 80 plus um, turf fields and such and you know, been in this business for many, many years. Um, and we're very, very pleased to be supporting the school and, and Northboro and Southboro. But I just want to give you a quick update. As Keith said, we were brought on board, I guess, officially to do the SMAC design late last year. Um, we did our initial field evaluation, which Gail ourselves go out as specialists, look at the existing turf at the fields. You know, are they worn down? 
they have issues, drainage issues, dimensions, are the fields orientated the way they should be, um, all those types of valuations. On top of that, we also did geotechnical investigations. Um, first to see what's you know under the field, how's our topsoil, things along those lines. But we also did some borings um, for um, athletic lighting. You need to design the foundations. I, I, later on in the package, you'll see some examples of what those light structures look like and um, why they require some foundation work. Um, but also we did cores of the tennis courts and the track to see what's underneath there. You know, what, what do we have left? And unfortunately, a lot of these are fairly old facilities and asphalt thicknesses and stuff which are, are very, fair, fairly thin, um, which impacts your project and, and what we're gonna need to do. Um, after we did our collection, we also did what we call an existing condition survey. We go out, you know, we do um, one foot topo we you know basically put everything that we can put it on a drawing and start a design um, tie it into you know elevations that um, you know the property and such existing conditions and then with that we then take all our information um, our, our specialty with field layouts and such and um, start putting together our schematic design plans um, we did meet with the, the team several times as a programming, you know, what is the school looking for? What are some of their time frames? And um, I know that we had started them several years ago with this, with this vision of um, doing both the, the track, um, redoing the track and field with synthetic turf, um, providing a, a practice type JV field synthetic turf, and then possibly upgrading the tennis courts, um, which is what we've um, been looking at. I quickly just hit on the existing conditions um, before I get into the drawings. Um, the first one we start with is the stadium field. We kind of provided dates on when these were um, either installed initially or when they were refurbished, which you can see that um, these fields are, you know, out quite some ways. I mean, 2004 was the um, in the stadium, you know, your football field. Um, you know, that's 18 years, and um, obviously the track was installed much, you know, that's the original track from when the high school and such went in, and it, it's quite old, and if anyone's been out there, it's, it's in pretty bad shape. We just provided a couple pictures on the bottom, but the, the actual track surfacing is, is pretty diminished in most locations. Striping um, is, is hard to see. You can see in the one picture we've got puddling, we've got low spots, and um, you know, eventually, like anything else, this tract has outlived its, its life. Um, regarding the grass field, um, grass fields are, are wonderful. Unfortunately, the way schools have grown and teams and you have girls, you have boys, you have JV, ninth grade, varsity, um, plus what other youth groups are allowed to use these facilities, um, these fields are used. Um, way more than they they are meant to, to be and um, one muddy game can just completely ruin a field they get over compacted it's hard to get them to continue to grow and um, the whole intent of a synthetic turf field is to provide the school with that uh, additional playtime and then adding the lights just adds to that as well it just extends um, you know the opportunities for more people to use the facilities we have a similar situation over on the JV field um, Again, just years of youth, youth um, use. It was um, refurbished, refurnished back in 2004, and um, you know it's it's fairly compacted. There's there's you know kind of a, a definite worn path down the center where you know the practices and most of the activity takes place. And and again, um, over compacted and and difficult to um, maintain the grade. 
The other area is the tennis courts. Um, these pictures are um, pretty <laughs> drastic, but uh, the courts did not hold up well at all, um, except I will say tennis courts in New England to take a beating anyway. Um, in fact, we are working on a cost to the school, not that they'd consider it, but perhaps um, there's opportunity for what they call a post-tension concrete court which um, hold up a lot longer, but they are more expensive. So we'd help the school and you know the town through budget points regarding that. Um, right now, we've pretty much are evaluating kind of a standard, um, you know, asphalt with the the tennis court treatment on top. Um, but what we have learned through the years with New England is where we can put some. Um, joints and such to help prevent cracking or to control the direction of the cracking so the courts um, last longer and then then resurfacing is easier when you come back um, so with that I've just included the master plan that we kind of started with this was the school's vision um, and just again I'm gonna just flip to our next page and I'm gonna go to the plans here but this is really taken from our um, schematic design I'm just going to flip through just to, you know, just quickly to show you what's, what's in our set, um, what we, we work for for our design. Um, John? Oh, sorry, I should have said that. Um, um, you know, this is our existing conditions, like I said, our survey. It's quite large. You know, we, we've got, you know, 20 some acres or so that you know are covered and whatever um, but again this is everything that's out there including the irrigation lines all of that that obviously part of construction things we have to consider that have to be removed and and taken care of I'm going to just flip these these are just more or less a larger scale of the existing conditions at each of the different um, areas of play Um, and then we get into, you know, this is pretty much an overall of what we're proposing. Um, again, put on our base plans. I'm going to skip to the next one, which is the blow up of the, um, the stadium field. Just to chat about that one a little bit. Um, what we're proposing right now is, um, as I said, the track is in really poor shape. It's, it's very old. Um, and also the old track had what we call it a radius, it had a radius of 104 on the, on the edges, on the, what they call this is a D area, it looks like a D. Um, this radius was at 104, and what it did is it very, it limits um, the width of your playing fields within the track. Um, so you don't, you can see like the sock, this is the soccer line, you can see that the, the field is very close to the track, it, we what we prefer and what they like to see is like a 10-foot safety runout is what they call it So some kid with the soccer doesn't fall onto the track and and you know This is things that advance. I would say 95% of the tracks that were built You know between then and like now you know within the last 10 years before the last 10 years We're all built this way then of course lacrosse and soccer and those sports got very popular and those fields are wider than a football field which is why um, we're proposing to take this to a 109-foot radius. What it does is it provides us a, a, a little more space. We'd like to go probably even more if we could, um, but we have wetlands and a very steep slope over here, so we've tried to kind of massage it between you know existing conditions and the entryway and such on this side, you know, and what we could push the track to pick up that space and, and just give the school the flexibility of the larger um, playing fields and such. 
And what you see on your chart for this field, you know, we kind of list what size. These are, you know, um, the, the, the highway stand or the highway, the um, high school standards um, for fields and such. Um, like I said, for soccer, football, and you can see the, the, the dimensions. Um, you know, they, they can fluctuate a little bit, but these are the regulation fields. You know, obviously the school puts in a facility like this, they want to be able to host, you know, top events and such. So, you know, we want to make sure we give you um, those, meet those requirements. So it's, it's still going to remain a six lane track, like I said, because we are limited six lane track. Um, we're also proposing, like I said, a synthetic turf field. Um, striped for football um, and it were also um, soccer lacrosse and and potentially field hockey we will work out logistics with final design on you know what lines are permanent what lines aren't um, we're also proposing with this um, a grandstand a new grandstand and press box the existing grandstand is in um, pretty poor shape it doesn't meet a lot of ADA requirements that they need to today handicap things along those lines so we would be bringing not just the grandstands but also all the access roads make sure everything is in ada compliant and such um, which is what we're required then you know obviously tie it in and um, and do what um, we need to do to just make it fit within the existing campus the um, the next one would like i said the jv field very similar um, but this obviously doesn't have the track but we are proposing synthetic turf. Um, again, multi-sport, um, so you know you can get various sports, can use it, practice games and such. Um, meets all the criteria as far as the, the game um, game sizes or the field sizes. And um, again, right now we're showing athletic lightings. One of the things we're working out is um, do we just run the conduit and have it ready for athletic lighting or um, you know, again, some of that comes down to budget, and a lot of times we work that into the bid process as alternates and things like that. If the budget comes in good, you know, we throw it in the base bid, and if it, you know, if it ends up, you know, we want to have something where we don't think, you know, we think we're really close, we'll list it as an alternate, and it can be um, removed. But uh, all both of these fields, you know, we're providing new fencing. We have safety netting um, that's, you know, required, especially with the cross lacrosse goals lacrosse balls hurt <laughs> so um, we have safety netting especially around the track you don't want someone on the track while they're doing lacrosse practice things along those lines so um, sure portable bleachers are those the ones that collapse or what is that um, these do not these are um, they're about 50 um, 50 seat seaters and they don't come on wheels but we call them portable because the bottom line is when you put in a permanent um, bleacher the state plumbing code requires you to have so many restrooms so although these are not on wheels you could still move them we give you the con yes so we give you the concrete pad they sit on you could move them if you have an event you know you you know the school could move them to where they would want um, but that's the intent is um, that we don't you know tie it to to the restroom requirements they, they move them with Scott's new backhoe. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Whatever else. But um, so I think, you know, that's really that. Um, the tennis courts, like I said, um, right now we're just looking at the standard kind of tennis court, asphalt-based, um, standard asphalt treat, uh, coating, track coating. 
Um, and like I said, we talked about um, some of the cut, the saw cut lines and, and the joints that, uh, again, we have found are successful to, to minimize cracking. Tennis courts are in bad shape. We're talking, you know, right now we've included all new fencing. Um, you know, this walkway, if you go out there, you'll see that the courts are actually lower than this walkway. Um, but we, we're going to have to adjust it all. For some reason, this did not settle. The courts did. We don't really know why, but so we need to, we're going to go in, probably remove. What we try to do on all of these, as well as the existing track, we go in and we try to reclaim what pavement's there, um, regenerate it, reuse what we can. You do get some fluff, so we will have to, you know, put some elsewhere. But um, we try to, you know, to save costs and not, you know, dig it all up, get rid of it. We, we do claim and try to mix it. Um, and then just come in and you know meet the final grades with the the more um, permanent material. So um, no, no lighting for the tennis courts. Um, not at this time, but um, it's our next thing was electrical plant. Well, as I do have the drainage plans, they're not too exciting, but I can just show you quickly. Um, Kathy, while you look at that, do you know why there were nine courts and not ten put there? I, I do not. I believe it's it, the, the roadway that goes oh, around. Oh, it could have been. It just didn't fit and where they had it. it. Yeah. Um, for high school, they require five. You have um, three doubles matches and two, um, no, two doubles matches and three singles matches for a, for a match, for an event. So a minimum is five. I, like I said, I was, we weren't involved with the original school, so I suspect it was that. It was a driveway. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. This just gives you a sense of what's involved under the field. Um, what we do basically is we remove all the topsoil, then we come back in with uh, a, a stone layer. Um, the field is completely surrounded by a concrete curb. It almost acts like a, a, a detention basin. So any water that falls on it, um, you know, hits the surface drains through that stone quickly, which is why they're dry when it's raining. And then there's a series of under drain drains that get collected that are under that stone as well, um, which is why these fields are, you know, drained the way they are. So they basically, it infiltrates. Some of it never even makes it to those pipes. A lot of it will infiltrate even to the soil beneath, depending on your site conditions. We've had sites in floodplains where, you know, our stones had to be thicker and, you know, a lot more um, piping and such. but We've got pretty decent soils here, so we're at a pretty standard, you know, eight-inch thick stone um, with the piping below it. Um, but you do have to account for it and, you know, provide an outfall and things along those lines. But um, it, it's pretty um, straightforward. But it, like I said, but we do have to provide, you know, stormwater calcs for these. Um, they are calculated as if it's paved, but it, it's it's not. It's it's one of those things with the with the regulations, but. Um, and then with the, um, and this field, just so you know, is crowned through the middle, pretty standard, high point and grades out to the edges. And there's a drain that goes all the way around the inside of the track that also collects any surface water if it even gets there. Um, and, and again, that all gets tied together and discharged. And all of that is new. Your existing track doesn't have that. Um, that all is part of that drain is tied into the curb for the, the, the synthetic pit. And then this field's a little bit different. It's sloping um, more back into this corner. We've got more of a, a, a slope, um, a consistent slope. We're not splitting it at the high point. It just worked better with the grades at the site and what the field is doing today. Um, 
And again, same thing though, we have the under drains. This time we don't really have the herringbone type pattern, which is pretty standard. Um, we kind of have the, we have the vertical, again, they get collected by a, a drain and then, um, and then discharge. And the tennis courts, we, they mostly surface grade, but we did provide a few points, um, some, some drains and such, um, only because the courts, one, because you have so many courts in a row, because you have the nine courts, um, we don't want the surface flow all the way across. Um, so we're picking that up like in between in a couple spots just to minimize surface flow because obviously it doesn't go through um, the, the top of the, the top surface of the, the tennis court. Um, and again, just tying into an existing grid. All right, this was the, you had asked the question about electrical. Um, we went out, we had um, Vinnie Delario is our elect, um, electrical consultant. We've worked with Vinnie on hundreds of fields. He does electrical lights. He works very closely with Moscow, Moscow Lighting. They're pretty much the only athletic lighting people in the business. Um, but Vinnie, what we determined, we did an evaluation of the existing electrical service at the school, because we've actually had situations where the power's not available to do the lights. The school, actually we confirmed the school has way more um, electrical capacity than it needs. So what we're gonna do is um, run from the main electrical room in the back of the school. We're gonna run out to the, um, they call it the McDonald House, the amenities building. They have pretty much a whole open electrical room. It's, it's basically empty. Um, we're gonna put the control panels for all the lights at that point, bring in the service from the building and then disperse it. Um, to the fields, the different fields. And what we've also done, we've made sure when we run that line from the main building, we're gonna make sure we have capacity and uh, you know a panel um, provided, space provided for future tennis lighting if it were to be um, desired. And also um, they've requested that we provide for the baseball field. So the service, this line coming this way for these lights can run easily be extended, but we made sure it, it doesn't cost a lot now to just bump the conduit, you know, a little bit larger at this time. And then the high school, you know, as, as the future grows, they, you know, trying to keep everyone happy and get that the lights out there, you know, kids love to play in the night games and um, is, so. is the Moscow what we did at Melican? Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They, they pretty much they're I, I, I can't say I, We've never done any other ones, and we probably wouldn't. Um, and unfortunately, you know, they're not cheap, but they're the best. And what's great with the Musco lighting, they have this monitoring system. It's all electronic. If you have a bulb go out, they know back at their office or their maintenance facility, and they're right out, you know, they fix it. You know, they've, it's high tech, you know, all the way. So. Um, just on the electrical note too, we're no also lights, sorry, no lights for softball. Is that a spacing issue? Um, we just we weren't really requested to consider it. Right. So, um, well, as someone whose wife runs softball and yeah. <laughs> plays and is yeah. slightly involved with this, yeah, maybe consider throwing some lights for softball. Yeah, like but keep, we could. Like I keep the girls happy and the people who represent them. Yeah. Yep. Fair enough. Um, um, like I said, also the electrical, just we are, you know, running service over to the press box as well as, like I said, the lights. Um, basically, it's just standard for lights. In your packet, I just included a couple pictures of the, you know, kind of some of our standard, some of the fields we had done with the lights. 
just to give you a sense of um, what they what they look like um, at night and such we don't really have a lot of neighbors here um, a lot of our jobs you know we're building them right next to someone's neighborhood and it's very critical that the lights don't impact people what you know the old lights used to shine across the field you know right into someone's you know living room um, now they the technology you know that the poles are higher but the lights shine down so they the, it's amazing how quick the cutoff line is you know once you um, you know walk away from the field in fact well when we go in you know with neighborhoods and, and talk with them um, Moscow actually gives us what they call illumination plan that gives us the foot candles as you get away from the field and within feet you're down to nothing so it's in fact what it does is it forces us to make sure we have sight lighting because somebody walking from this field just because it's lit here you know walking down the path and down this way you know we've also included some sight lighting to make sure people can get in and out safely to the parking lots so that's also included in our in our, our program so the last thing I um, wanted to add and the schools asked us to consider and we've dug into a little bit is a, um, a gazebo uh, amphitheater um, for more on the community end for maybe concerts and things along those lines and um, they're still kicking around a few locations. Um, this we have it shown on the one hand, a couple of these spots where we're looking to put it. But um, but um, initially they were thinking maybe even for graduations, um, we were thinking of, I, I've got a couple locations shown here. They were thinking originally maybe for graduations, have seating up here in the amphitheater, sit here and have the kids come up you know, like on a stage and such, as you can see in the picture. Um, but we also considered an area maybe down in this area, down, um, you know, the tennis courts sit right here. Um, it's a little smaller space, but it's kind of unused, so it might be, you know, a good spot. But then they also have kind of, I guess, they're not sure what if they want to do it for graduation, so we're even considering on the far end of the track, again, kind of as a community-type facility for outdoor concerts and, and you know, even plays or things along those lines, too, um, for the arts, you know, the arts and um, that type, so. Can I ask a question about the amphitheater, because I haven't seen that before. Okay. In general, do you not want people on the turf unless they're playing, or is that, like, old kind of rules when it comes to turf? Well, turf, you have to keep it, there's, there's rules, and usually they post signs. You don't want certain things on the turf. I just think a concert is, the concerts here in town I'm familiar with, and you know, people are eating and drinking as they're sitting down at 135. Yeah, well. I'm just concerned what that would do to our turf. And yeah, well, I think in this case, we were thinking the grass field, they'd sit up here. Um, but they do do the graduations on the field. You just have to limit, you know, obviously water. They do actually kind of deter from Gatorade. I mean, at least the turf guys will tell you that, but that's a tough one to keep off the fields. But, um, you know, it, it's something, like I said, when they go through, you know, once the fields are in and such, the turf people come in and train the school people and what's, what's allowed, what's not. And like I said, they usually give you signs. Like I said, it doesn't always, you know, you go to games, you see it all, but um, they try anyway. But so. Kathy, what's the, the time frame on doing all this construction? And, and is it in phases? You know, I can, okay. can start. I'll um, fill in the blank. You know, based on the current, um, as we've heard, the economy, the the current market, and all the things going on, we we've 
the school has been playing was playing with initially you know starting this year and um, based on the timing and when we got started and such um, we're getting a lot of feedback that um, it's gonna be a tough year to build we know there's issues with the piping for under these fields we even last summer we saw issues with fencing you know they wouldn't hold quotes for three days on fencing and um, but just even you know now with obviously the the, the war and um, just the whole COVID delivery truck, you know, that whole mess is just, um, we've just kind of recommended to the school that, you know, maybe start next year, be ready to roll next year. Um, you know, just give the, give it a little time to kind of pan out. I mean, we do have jobs this summer and so far the bids have come in pretty, pretty close to our estimates, um, actually under our estimates, but, um, but right now with the school we've recommended like a 25 percent contingency because we we just don't know and as we advance our design every step we take and as numbers get finalized that contingency does come down but in recent circumstances um, we've kept it like even at 20 percent because we're just there's just kind of that unknown um, and, so. and how long will it take to complete the project this well one one field like the track and field it can be done in a summer you can do two fields in the summer the tennis courts you know we may may trickle into the fall um, but you can probably do it in like eight months um, obviously we, we usually have these all geared up start as soon as the fields are available as soon as the you know the, the the games are done and as soon as the contractor a lot of times it's like as soon as graduations over the contractor sitting there with his truck you know and the, you know graduations going on because they know they got a very short window and it's always you know the goal is to get it done for you know the summer and and most of them do it um, and and if you trickle into the fall sometimes it, it happens but um, you know definitely like the track and that um, and then obviously you know of course you're limited to like with the track and the tennis courts you know obviously you can't do it in too cold weather because you're paving and things like that so that limits it and the, the track surfacing and the tennis surfacing is pretty sensitive uh, you know material so you, you got to have pretty prime conditions because if you get it in right it, it stays right you know it, it just um, so, but you know, it probably. I'm I'm thinking this one. If they do it all at once, eight, you know, eight months or so. Um, but we're also. I know they're also considering potential phasing as well. And again, things get tied to funding and stuff. So, but. Yep. Thank you. Are there any more questions for Kathy? Just a, I have a question. Just sure. in, in terms of. Uh, the process, Keith. Mm -hmm. How are how is this uh, being envisioned? Is this uh, schools using stabilization uh, fund that they're going to establish? Mm -hmm. E and D uh, contributions. Uh, is this a, would this be a debt excluded project? Mm -hmm. uh, how how is this being contemplated? Th those are the things where we we wanted to make sure we get a good accurate number of where we are, and through Kathy's work, that's where we are now. We're really looking to see what that number would be, and then talking to Superintendent Martineau, then investigating all those options that you listed. Um, and any others that be, become available are all on the table still. Um, obviously, it would be a joint Northboro and Southboro project uh, based on things we've discussed <laughs> of different assessment levels and hoping that more Southboro kids come to, uh, come to Algonquin. But certainly that's all gonna be part of what we've then gotta deliberate collaboratively with both towns. So I think everything's on the table of how we would like to take care of this project. 
Okay, just um, so that so at at some point someone will create a critical path yes. timeline with the process and and the estimated time cycles. Correct. Uh, obviously, if it's a debt exclusion, you know that would require a ballot vote as right. well, in addition to town meeting action. Okay. And so now you're into into May and just trying to think of logistically how the contractors would get the work done in the summer. And this is obviously somebody else's worry. Yeah, um, no. But uh, I was just curious if there was a, a timeline as we're talking about, you know, potentially next year uh, bringing something forward. All that stuff is going to be very critical. Yeah, it definitely will. So I think our, our real goal through, you know, Kathy's hard work this this winter and getting lucky with some weather, we were able to do the in detailed uh, review of the space we wanted to, to really get to that firm number. I think what we're planning on is to do a similar presentation, Kathy coming to both town meetings this spring in a similar fashion and provide, you know, the scope of the job where we are. And then that will be the catalyst for then you know, move, moving forward, you know, at a more, you know, particular rate. But I, I agree with you, John. I think that clear plan of how this is going to have to be funded is, is going to be detailed um, as a collaboration between the towns. And I'm just curious, too, what's the, in terms of the, um, you know, this is a schematic design. Mm -hmm. When you get into full design development, construction documents, how, how long is that, is that period? Um, we're probably, we probably will be at, we could be at 90% in about a month. And we probably could be bid. So we're 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 not in bad shape. I mean, actually, this schematic design. I think we actually even took a little further than what we normal our schematic because we know it's critical. Yeah, you to got the electrical school. in there, and right. yeah, exactly. Yep. Because yep. so sometimes at this point they wouldn't go forward with the geotechnical item, you know, yeah. to make sure that you know we knew it was underneath. That might have been part of the next phase, but we wanted to make sure we were taking care of it to get that real number because uh, yeah. we think that's critical for how we're going to advance this. And the geotech always helps if there's surprises. Correct. You know, what's, what's there. You never know what's well, under we don't the cover know what's until there, you check. You know, yeah. or we try anyway. You can't hit everywhere, but we try our best to identify everything you could run into so and account for it in the costs. So. Okay. Anything else? All right. Okay. Well, thank, thank you, you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's it. nice to meet you all, and good luck at the um, hockey game. I know. Thank you. Be, I'll be paying attention. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you. You want to talk about some other stuff? Yeah, I have two um, other, well, project. one other project at Algonquin. I'll, I'll start there. The redundant hot water heater um, is what we're looking to move forward with in, in uh, the next fiscal year for FY23. Uh, this is a project that has been on the capital plan for, for a few years, but we are getting to the end of life expectancy for the current boiler that we have. And it's a single point of failure. So if that boiler will to, will, would to fail, it would become an emergency. So the idea with facilities this large is to make sure that you have that redundant um, boiler in, in place. So what we'd like to do is replace the existing boiler and storage tank, and then add an additional boiler to get that redundancy uh, that we're, we're hoping to achieve. Um, we have the space for that uh, in, in, in the room. Uh, where the existing hot water heater is, and uh, we're prepared to, you know, start the bid process uh, for that once uh, the funding ha has been appropriated. Through our, you know, estimates at this point, we are looking at a hundred and eighty thousand dollar total project. Certainly, with what Kathy mentioned at the end there, you know, these are 
quotes were actively working. And like Scott said, and like Kathy said, some of these things are only a couple of weeks old before they're adjusting. So we're sensitive to that, and we want to make sure that we capture it uh, properly. But we're, you know, we're feeling pretty good about the 180k number based on what we know, and what we'd like to, you know, move, move forward with. Um, so in your packet, you would also see a little more detail about what we would go through a, you know, invitation for bid process and be able to move forward pretty, pretty quickly with that. So we do have a scope of work in mind for what it would entail. We've contacted with, uh, uh, been in contact with a number of the plumbers that we work with, and we think it's very obtainable uh, to do in, in short order once the money has been, uh, been appropriated. So, and at the very end of the packet, you'll see the actual existing boiler and storage tank, um, which we do have enough footprint there to add an additional boiler, which would be um, uh, you know, adding, adding some square footage to there. One thing that, as part of this process, the school committee wanted us to investigate is whether or not there was a, a greener option for us. Certainly there are rebates with the boilers that we would be getting, but we're also looking towards a solar option. Um, and that's an, an interesting, you know, um, option to investigate. So we're in the preliminary phases of that and kind of securing numbers and how we would stream it and whether it would be, you know, PV panels that are just outside the room or whether we access to the roof, things like that are being analyzed. So it's kind of exciting to look at it through both ends, the rebate itself with the boiler and then and a solar option. So that's where we currently are. Oh. To the chair, uh, just a couple points of clarification. One, uh, Keith mentioned that it's been in the capital plan. It's not in your capital plan or North Coast yes. capital plan. It is in the Algonquin Regional High School's capital plan. So this is the first time you've seen it. Uh, so I didn't want people to say, well, I don't remember seeing this in our, in our capital plan. Um, the other is that the total project cost is $180,000 roughly. That would be split between the towns of Northborough and Southborough in accordance with the regional agreement. Uh, the anticipated cost in Northborough is about $112,000 roughly. And um, uh, the process for that, there is a, on the town meeting warrant right now, there is a placeholder for this project. And uh, it's my understanding in talking with the superintendent that uh, he's contemplating issuing some short-term debt uh, for this and spreading out the uh, payments through our assessment over, uh, over a couple of years. Uh, rather than us just get assessed for the $112,000 in fiscal 2023. So my understanding right now is that I don't believe there's going to be any assessment uh, as part of the fiscal 23 budget for this project. Mm -hmm. But it, so, uh, so some of those details are being worked out, um, but, uh, but uh, just the bottom line is we wouldn't be responsible for the whole 180,000, although right. since we do have the uh, larger share of enrollment through the regional agreement, we're gonna be responsible for about $112,000 roughly uh, of that cost. And we are working with the regional treasurer to look at those different debt options that are available to us. So that is, and John's absolutely right, we are exploring those right now uh, to make uh, the best possible choice. Any questions? Excellent. So the, the last uh, project actually has a, a couple pieces to it. The, um, the Proctor School over on, on Jefferson Street uh, has been in need of some repair in the last f a few months. Uh, we've done a variety of different things uh, with the school to make sure we are capturing this as, as, as good as possible. You know, with the heavy summer, summer rain that came in, we did have very high humidity in the Proctor School, and we needed to make efforts to, to reduce that and mitigate that. So over the course of the fall, we've done different dehumidification uh, measures, including the purchasing of some portable units. But 
but more importantly, we went forward with uh, Hub Testing, who is um, very familiar with our buildings. Uh, they help us with all our AHERA uh, clearances and things of that nature. They came in to evaluate the conditions. And what they went to immediately was the roof, the downspouts, and the drainage. So because of that assessment, we went ahead and got two different roof and downspout assessments from two separate companies, Greenwood and Garland. And through that analysis, it was, it was pretty uh, definitive that they were recommending that the flat section of the roof at Proctor, I don't know if you recall or not, but the pitch sections were replaced back in like 15, 16 with a metal, metal roof, but the flat sections were only recoded probably about a year or two before that. And th that the, so the flat section is the one that we're, we're looking to have replaced. So in conversations with, with John and, and the superintendent, the flat portion of the roof, we did put in a statement of interest to MSBA. We're in the process of doing that right now. It's actually due next Friday. So we will be putting that into the Massachusetts School Building Authority for an accelerated repair program. And we hope to hear back on their decision within, within a couple of months to then decide how we, how we are going to move forward with, with that project. Um, through the estimates of the report, we are looking at that being a $1.6 million project. Uh, from beginning to the end, but like um, we've been mentioning, what those estimates will look like in six to eight months could be, could be different. So that's where we are with the roof side. What is actually a little more interesting is around the drainage and the downspout, which I can talk about. Before I go on to that, are there any questions about the roof, its condition, or where we are now, or does it all make sense? Do you want anything? We to can, uh, for the for the committee's um, information, I'll forward along a copy of the uh, roof assessment that gives you all the more detail. Um, I would also share that uh, at Monday's Board of Selectmen meeting, one of the proposals was to release ARPA funding uh, for this phase of $38,000 just to get the drains and the, uh, and the immediate uh, ponding on the roof uh, addressed. Uh, the, the roof will still need to be replaced at somewhere between 1.5 and 1.6 million dollars. Uh, so the board did go uh, authorize the release of those funds, so the school department uh, can immediately move forward to make these uh, these improvements to the drains. Um, ultimately, uh, within the capital improvement plan, will be a roof project. Uh, we are holding a there's a placeholder for fiscal 2024, so next fiscal year, for the full project. Uh, we are anticipating using $880,000 in ARPA funding uh, for that share. That was the plan that was presented to the board. Whether or not they agree with that and ultimately decide to do that remains to be seen. Uh, if they choose not to, then clearly this would be a project that we would have to issue debt for, uh, go through the whole bonding process, and, uh, and be in a situation where we're paying uh, debt service. So that's why this was another one of those big projects that we were looking to um, try to clear out of the queue uh, so that we uh, create more capacity to do everything else. And, and I think one of the important points that I tried to make at the board meeting on Monday is that you have all of these capital needs that sometimes people don't get excited about truck replacements or roof replacements. You know, they're not exciting and sexy, okay? I get that. But they're absolutely necessary and as critical as anything else that you might be contemplating. And if funding is used to take care of these things, you create capacity to do things that you don't have to do but you might like to do. 
If you take these one-time ARPA funds and you use them on things that you would like to do, um, that's okay, but these needs don't go away. And rather than uh, paying as you go for this, as we try to do to the extent possible, this will create, uh, through the issuance of debt and the required payment of the debt service for the principal and interest, it will create pressure on the operating budget because uh, it will divert, you know, uh, 100000 in this case potentially to, uh, to debt service. So, so it's important just to keep that, uh, keep that in mind. But at this point, um, the immediate repairs can take place. We'll wait to hear from MSBA. No matter what, if MSBA approves this project, uh, I hope this committee would support the roof replacement. Uh, we need to protect our assets. Uh, and, um, and whether it be through one-time funding using ARPA, preferably, or it's the issuance of debt, that will be something that we would need to take up uh, for the upcoming uh, fiscal year. So. Uh, again, uh, I would also share, and uh, Keith can elaborate on this potentially here, um, we did apply for the Z-School roof to MSBA's Accelerated Repair Program, and unfortunately they declined to collaborate with us on that particular project due to the age of the roof. Proctor, on the other hand, uh, is uh, qualifies. Yep. And one of the things I've been saying is, you know, um, as the ARPA funds make their way through the state level and uh, all of these infrastructure bills and, and uh, potential supplemental budgets that are coming through the legislature open up, MSBA is anticipated to, to uh, receive additional funding. And if they do, it means they're going to be able to get further down that list of, of projects. So it's really important that we get in that queue so that if the funding becomes available, uh, we have a much better chance of of getting our project funded. And again, this isn't uh, you know small money. This is you know uh, uh, you know eight hundred to nine hundred thousand dollars of grant funding to get this project done. And we have you know in if we're desperate and we don't have a choice and we have to move forward, we've made that choice in the past. If you recall the Lincoln Street uh, roof. Despite the fact that we were contemplating a complete renovation addition project on that, the roof couldn't wait. And we were trying to get MSBA to partner with us, and they wouldn't. And ultimately, we went to town meeting with an article that said, we are authorized for the full price if MSBA doesn't approve it. And it actually was helpful to me because when we went back to MSBA, we were showing, listen, this is how, how serious this is. We're going to move forward with or without you. We can't wait, but it would be a shame if you didn't partner with us. And I think that that helped us to uh, get their grant support. And so that project, that roof for Lincoln, ultimately MSBA partnered with us on. So we're anticipating a reimbursement rate of anywhere from you know, 45 to 48 percent, potentially. So um, you, know, you generally don't want to move forward with a school building project or a roof or a significant repair without their uh, participation. So with these repairs that have already been authorized and paid for, this is not going to go into town meeting. You don't need to take a vote on it. It's already a done deal. That will allow the schools to, to hold the line 
while we wait to hear from uh, MSBA. Yeah, and that's that's very well put by John. Um, and this drainage and downspout uh, project that we've been just recently authorized to do is really exciting. We are actually going to go out for a quest for quote on that starting tomorrow, so all the documentations are prepared. Um, so we are expecting to get that completed, hopefully, you know, by the end of school uh, this this spring to mitigate any any further damage. But what we've discovered through these evaluations with some scoping of the downspout and drains is that we just had two drains that were compromised where we had crutch pipe and those are two locations that have to be repaired but fortunately the other 19 are leaching properly which we weren't expecting which is a good thing less less excavating less less of a problem so we have two locations that need to be reviewed uh, and then we're really looking at the replacement of cast iron downspouts on the exterior of the building with PVC which we can do PVC as a replacement because it is in, on the exterior. So I have been in contact with the plumbing inspector to make sure we were with the right scope of work for it, and which is obviously significantly less moving forward. And those chases that are around it, and you'll kind of see, you might be able to see that in the packet, will will be the aesthetic cover. It doesn't have any real mechanical or functional benefit, but it does allow it to you know protect the PVC um, from any damage. So, you know, the good news from the roof, and you can sort of see it in one of the photos, is there is a bell on the roof that does the collection those are actually in great shape better than expected where we're compromised is from that point down and then out to the leaching areas and that's what with the appropriation of those ARPA funds of 38,000 which we're estimating we're gonna be able to take care of from the ground all the way up to those bells which is pretty exciting to, to mitigate some of some of the future uh, future damage and then we can look at the roof which is next in the queue and like John said absolutely that uh, MSBA statement of interest will be submitted by, by next week, and we'll cross our fingers and hope it comes through with, with their approval in the next couple of months. So that's our plan. Any questions, guys? No. Excellent. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Thanks, and Mike, Keith. again, good luck this weekend. All right, thank take care. You. Thanks for coming in, Keith. My pleasure. John, do you want to talk about our next meeting date? Yes, um, next meeting date is uh, March uh, 23rd. Um, I don't think Linda didn't include the uh, schedule uh, for that. Um, so at your next meeting, uh, you, you've really, you've seen the presentations for all the projects that are coming forward. So at your next meeting, uh, we'll review the overall plan and um, and have a discussion about uh, potentially your your support of that plan uh, as we move forward every project that we are proposing all of the um, the 1.7 uh, in DPW projects uh, as well as the uh, 165,000 for the three cruiser replacements all of those under the current proposal would be funded with available funds existing free cash so there's no additional tax impact that's phenomenal for us and again it's just a, another example of how our, our fiscal policies have served us well so the, the, that free cash and we had a good amount of free cash which meant we were able to deal with some of the backlog the only project um, that is not funded with uh, free cash general fund free cash is the INI construction repair work that Scott Sharpentier discussed tonight. That would be funded using essentially free cash fund balance from the enterprise fund. So that's already baked into the rate. So, so none of these projects is roughly $2 million worth of projects. If all approved at town meeting, will have any additional um, tax impact. 
Um, the only other project that uh, has not uh, come forward, I did provide you uh, at your uh, first meeting with the scope of services is the downtown master plan. And so this was a out, uh, outgrowth from the master plan implementation committee. Uh, you heard over and over again, and Bill, Bill served on the, on the uh, committee, uh, that basically uh, you know, the downtown is the, is the next uh, biggest focus. So as part of that $2 million, in addition to the DPW projects, the police cruisers, is $150,000 for that downtown master plan vision study. So you have the scope of services. If you would like to hear from the Master Plan Implementation Committee uh, uh, or actually Scott Charpentier, I could have had him go through it because uh, both he and I are staff liaisons on that uh, committee given the, the reach of and scope of what that committee is recommending for projects. Uh, but this, that, the downtown was the number one of all the projects that came out of the Master Plan. That's the number one request and as you know, when the master plan was ongoing, we did put a to-be-determined placeholder for fiscal 23, anticipating that some additional next step from the master plan would come forward. So that's the only other project um, uh, that's being contemplated. And again, that is also being funded with, uh, with free cash. So, so your next meeting, we'll look at the full plan. Uh, if you in all you've received all of the information if there's anything else that you would like if uh, through the chair if you let the chair know he'll contact me we'll get you that information and as you know like for any of this stuff you know if you want specs if you want copies of scopes of service uh, most of these projects as I've said they've come up every year over the six years so you've received copies of the scope of service you know uh, for instance, we talk about the dam removal project that's coming up next year. You have all of the engineering plans. You have all of the, the dam uh, studies and stuff in the past. But if anybody would like another copy or a refresher on any of the information you've received in the past, just let me know. We're happy to get that uh, to you. Uh, and again, I will make a note uh, to send you the, uh, the Proctor Roof, the updated. You've received one in the past, but they have a Proctor Roof assessment from December. Um, uh, that I will send to you. So um, the only other thing, uh, unless anybody has any questions about your next meeting. Mr. Chairman, question. Mm -hmm. Were we supposed to have a discussion on elections about a week or two ago? We mm -hmm. were. Um, reorg. <laughs> a reorg. Uh, we were supposed to do it. Um, one of the members uh, wasn't here. So we didn't want to elect him without him being here. Um, however, it's we, well. It's not on your agenda for this evening. I'm happy to place it on your agenda for uh, for your next meeting. That's my question. That would be that would be fine. Uh, again, uh, you know, it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a housekeeping matter. Um, if somebody had a burning desire to take over as chair, um, I guess we'll we'll find out at your next meeting. Um, uh, but generally, we like to do that. Uh, with everybody here, particularly if there's a sitting officer who may or may not want to be reappointed. So uh, I will put that on your agenda for your next meeting. So. And I wasn't here because we had playoff games in practice. Sorry, I don't control that schedule. Uh, the good news is uh, the good news is our meetings are, are being broadcast and they're being recorded. So uh, the meeting that you missed last week, Mike, with the discussion for police and fire, 
you can go back and review that. I'll just share with you that uh, all those projects that the, you've heard about them uh, for multiple years. It is worth noting um, last week you did have a presentation by the fire chief, uh, and he has the $400,000 ambulance to be paid for out of the ambulance revolving fund. He also presented uh, a information regarding a uh, $800,000 engine replacement. That $800,000 engine replacement was contemplated being funded, again, with ARPA funds. That proposal went forward to the board. They have not chosen to take that up yet. Uh, so, um, again, as we look out over the next couple of years, and this was uh, part of the discussion at the Selectman's meeting on Monday, is you know, we have this backlog of capital projects that we need to get caught up on. And then we have... Uh, coming up over the next couple of years, we have a couple significant projects that we aren't going to be able to pay as we go for them using free cash. There won't be enough available funds to do that. And those two projects are the Proctor roof and the um, $800,000 ambulance. And then we also talked about the DEP compliance for the tight tank at 400000 So the, the proposal uh, that went to forward to the board was, is, was to take care of those projects and then essentially, if we can do that on a pay-as-you-go basis, it allows us to then reshuffle the out years, maybe get to more streets, more sidewalks, uh, some downtown projects, those types of things sooner. If the alternative approach is taken and the board decides to fund some other projects, then using that pay-as-you-go uh, ARPA funding, uh, then these projects, by necessity, we just won't have available funds for a roof replacement in a in a eight hundred thousand dollar apparatus uh so so we're going to have to issue debt and that would mean issuing debt for the first time since roughly 2012 where we found a way to take care of all of the our equipment needs and small building projects including including you know we mentioned the proctor street roof we paid cash for the other part the peaked roof that we did the last time using available funds. So it's fine. You know, I guess the point here is there's no, there's no legal right or wrong. It just comes down to um, making decisions from a financial standpoint that they either will increase the debt and increase the tax impact in the future, or they will reduce the debt and the tax impact in the future. And obviously, this committee's approach has always been whenever we can reduce future debt, and projects and get them off the list, it allows us to reshuffle and move things up because we always, it's like every town in the Commonwealth, we always have more projects and more needs than we have available funds or willingness to get into um, increasing the taxes for. The other big piece is we know based on the uh, remediation at the fire station uh, site that we're gonna close on that property in July, we know that that fire station building project is, uh, it, well, it has been postponed while the remediation goes on. That will come to town meeting next year. So what we're going to be in a situation is we're going to be asking the taxpayers to approve uh, what will ultimately be the single largest um, uh, cost uh, building in our, in our history, uh, including the high school, because we shared that cost with, with Southboro. Um, unlike the uh, Lincoln Street building project that was $25.5 million, we were able to get a $10.4 million grant from MSBA. There is no existing building assistance program for fire stations. So that project is somewhere north of $16 million. It's going to have a, uh, a 
significant tax impact. And so the idea is you know, we want to try to create that capacity uh, and willingness on the, on the part of the taxpayers that we're taking care of things in every way we can so that we're not stacking up that building, plus we're doing the Proctor Street roof, plus we're doing an $800,000 fire engine, plus we're doing a DEP compliance improvement at the garage. So that's the context behind why, uh, what the proposal was that went forward to the board for their consideration on Monday. Um, we have a lot of people that are interested. You know, there's a buzz out there that there's this big windfall of money from ARPA. And, uh, and there are uh, obviously people have a lot of ideas about how you might want to use that. Um, so before we get into wish list things, it's always important. My job, the staff's job, and this committee's job is to frame up the needs, the real unavoidable needs. You have to do this Proctor Street roof. You don't have a choice. That fire apparatus will be 20 years old. It's at the end of its useful life. You can't have it breaking down on its way to a fire. You have to do that. DEP garage, you have to do that compliance. We're not in, we're not in compliance right now with the regulations. And we've been lucky. One of the things we've, DEP has you know, sniffed around and we've said it's in the plan. And like, okay, well, needs to get taken care of or you know, they might get you know, even more interested in that project. So that's the reason why those went forward. Uh, and unfortunately, at Monday's meeting, there was some characterization that somehow, you know, one person was responsible for this plan. And again, this is coming from people that don't understand and haven't been involved in these boards and committees for any amount of time. They don't understand the years of planning that go into the capital uh, project approach. And, um, and so... You know, part of this is just trying to make sure that people are educated. Uh, we've got new members of the board that have never served on a board or committee either, and so they're not really familiar with the, the details of this. There is a genuine you know, desire to listen to what people want, and I'm always in favor of that. But there needs to be some context, and one of the jobs of this committee and staff is to frame these up. And so if you don't know what you need to do, it's hard to talk about what you would like to do because it all costs money and it's going to be paid for one way or another. So um, anyway, uh, so we can have a, a discussion that's not on your agenda tonight about ARPA at your next meeting. I do have uh, for you an updated, two, three, this is the updated presentation that I made on Monday. Uh, it is also available, that meeting did go to midnight, so... Uh, if you would like to tune in, it was at the end of the meeting, but you can see that you can see that discussion if you if you would like. Uh, but uh, this body may wish to um, chime in on on the thoughts of how the ARPA funding uh, could be spent. And again, we're only talking about of the 4.5 million. You know, we're assuming it'll be used in fiscal 23 and fiscal 24. The plan and the approach that I just discussed, and that you've heard from the department heads on with regard to Proctor and the, the DEP compliance in the, in the fire engine. Um, that's for fiscal 2023. There are no designs on fiscal 2024, I'm sorry, on fiscal 2024 other than potentially the Proctor Street roof. So that, that one is 2024, I misspoke for a second there. So again, um, there's still, in my opinion, there's capacity here for us to do what needs to be done and to do what we would like to do. But as we heard through the 18-month master plan, 
what the community wants to do is downtown and sidewalks. So that's why those two things were brought forward. Um, so you know, we did a, 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 an 18-month outreach, focus groups, surveys about what it is that people want to see, what their priorities are for the community. We think it, it's hot off the press. We just finished that. And so that those plans need to inform the decisions about what do we use these ARPA funds for. And context, so anybody else who wants to do anything else, I guess it goes like this. In my, in my view of the process is it's important that the boards and committees and the staff frame these issues up for the policy-making boards and committees. Otherwise, if you just put out there, everybody come to the next meeting and tell me how you'd like to spend $4.5 million, there's a good chance that a number of those people won't even know about the Proctor roof. They won't know about the DE compliance. They won't know or understand that there's a, an $800,000 um, apparatus that's 20 years old and needs to be replaced. And so part of it is making sure, as with any decision about town finances, that it's made from a position of understanding and information. And from there, you can have discussions because there is capacity to do other things with this funding. But, you know, you should take care of, arguably, in my opinion, you know, the, the base things that need to be, that have to be done, and then talk about what you would like to do if you have that capacity. So, anyway, we can discuss this in more detail at your, at your next meeting. The only other piece of information I'll distribute to you tonight, uh, and it has some great stuff here in here. This is our, this is our, updated, um, our updated legislative priorities list where we talk about the uh, Chapter 90 funding as well as, you know, state aid in general. Um, I'm not going to go through this. You can read it. Uh, it really it, it's nothing that you need to approve or take a position on, but essentially if you read particularly the number one priority of Chapter 90, uh, it, it rounds out the discussion that we had tonight and puts, you know, the chart and the actual facts and figures about why this is such a critical need for us uh, and um, and why uh, we need this those additional funds from from the legislature. That's all I have for you this evening. Um, and uh, but I'm certainly happy to answer any any questions that you may have regarding uh, the legislative. By the way, that legislative priorities list has been approved by the board. It was signed by the chairman and went out in the mail uh, on March 28th. The, um, the board is going to be taking some form of public comment regarding ARPA. Uh, hasn't really been decided. Uh, and they're also going to have our legislative delegation in to review these needs. So might be a meeting of interest to you. So. You guys got anything else? Good. No? On to take a uh, motion to adjourn. Move to adjourn. Second. All those in favor of adjournment? Aye. 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 We are adjourned.